welcome to another MLEX podcast. I'm Laurel Henning, Senior Correspondent at MLEX, and today I'm with Australasian Managing Editor James Paniki in our Sydney offices. Hi James. Hello Laurel. Well, it has been a week of political drama here in Australia, with heated debates over Australia's controversial encryption bill going into an evening parliamentary sitting last night. And we're recording this podcast on the morning of Friday, December 7th in Eastern Australia. At one stage last night, it looked like a political deal had collapsed, only to be revived at the very last moment. As a result, the Telecommunications and Other Legislation Amendment Assistance and Access Bill will become law, much to the dismay of US technology companies Amazon.com, Apple, Cisco, Google, Facebook and possibly Microsoft. All of them had warned that Australia's encryption laws would hurt the overall security of encrypted communications around the world. The reason for this is that Australian law enforcement agencies will now have the powers to demand decrypted communications from WhatsApp or Telegram messaging services, to name just a few. James, we'll get to the recent developments, but first let's recap what this debate is about. The the way it has been framed by law enforcement and spy agencies in Australia is that this is simply an attempt to update existing laws that apply already to uh, telephone intercepts. So the police at the moment are able to tap phones in the context of criminal investigations, as they always have been able to do ever since telephones were invented. But obviously the the, the use of encrypted messages, so these are messages that cannot be intercepted. If you intercept a encrypted message, it just comes out as a, as a jumble of, of numbers and letters. Uh, these uh, This type of messaging has left investigators at a disadvantage. So they're saying that the proposed legislation is simply an attempt to bring phone tapping arrangements into the modern era. Uh, Much has been made about how criminals and terrorists are now uh, increasingly uh, using uh, encrypted messages uh, uh, in the the full knowledge that uh, these messages cannot be intercepted by law enforcement agencies. But there's a premise that these laws are simply phone tapping rules in the era of encryption, and that's been that's been disputed. Yes, yes, it, it has. I mean, that that theory that this is simply a translation of existing laws into a modern context that uh, theory has been debunked, I think, pretty comprehensively in the hearings that you've been um, following as well. The new laws will enable the government to demand that the technology companies in question, so in the case of WhatsApp, for example, the parent company is Facebook, so the new laws would enable uh, authorities to demand from Facebook that it provide decrypted messages to law enforcement agencies. Uh, But even those agencies are now uh, conceding that these powers, in fact, go beyond existing phone tapping uh, powers. One of the concerns that have been put forward by privacy groups and has remained central uh, in all of this is that um, comparable legislation in the UK included a judicial oversight. So it is a judge that issues the subpoena that then uh, leads to the information coming to the law enforcement agencies. Under the Australian laws, those uh, provisions do not exist. And that concern, the lack of judicial oversight, even though there's a possibility of appealing, but the lack of um, uh, judicial oversight is really central to the whole discussion here when it comes to privacy in Australia. And we'll dig into that a little further in a moment, but just going back to procedure then now. So the Australian government presented the legislation to Parliament in August and handed it to the Parliamentary Joint Committee on Intelligence and Security, where it remained until this week. The debate prompted a range of submissions, with the vast majority 
majority of those coming from industry who were highly critical of the bill. Yes, now we've, we've mentioned all of the big US companies um, by name already. We should add that Microsoft's submission remained confidential, so we don't know exactly what they said, but we can safely assume that Microsoft was also expressing similar concerns. So the other players like Apple, Apple had its own submission to the committee, then there was a joint submission from uh, Google, Amazon and Facebook through their industry uh, body, and they were essentially all on the same page. Apple was saying that the laws were dangerously ambiguous, uh, and that they were likely to weaken encryption across the globe and not just in Australia. And this is another central theme, that this is not just an Australian issue, but it is a global issue because if you weaken encryption here, they're obviously using the same, the same technology uh, throughout the world. So there's no such thing. There are no such thing as borders when it comes to encryption. Mm -hmm. That is their argument. The other tech companies said that the laws would leave online users more vulnerable to exploitation. They could even prompt the US Congress to avoid ratifying information sharing agreements with Australia. So these are, are big claims. The submission by uh, Cisco Technologies, which is a US company that produces telecommunications uh, hardware, so it's not just software, but hardware as well, um, has in many ways been the most vocal in this lobbying effort against the bill. They made three senior man uh, managers available for the hearings, and they have uh, talked about uh, not just the, 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 the concerns about uh, encryption, but they've also talked about the sort of the global dimension and also the reputational risks to a company such as theirs. The moment you tell your client base that there may be the chance that your encryption might be compromised by the Australian government, that obviously has clear sort of a knock-on effect when it comes to your business model. Yeah, and how, how sort of trustworthy indeed, as to indeed, how people yeah. perceive you. And the companies all cast doubt over one of the Australian government's central claims, which was that the legislation wouldn't create any back doors into encrypted technology. We should explain exactly what that means in this context. Well, I mean, it, it's become more and more problematic to talk about what that actually means because no one can agree on the definition. Uh, what the Australian government is saying is that the legislation doesn't give authorities a permanent point of entry into encryption. So the Australian government can't simply use a software at its disposal to crack, say, WhatsApp encryption whenever it wants to. It's not as though it's got a permanent uh, point of entry. But the, the tech companies are saying that uh, the bill is a backdoor in all, by in all but name. Uh, so by asking for the companies to crack their encrypted systems on a regular basis, you are in fact creating what they describe as systemic weaknesses. Now, the description, the, the definition of systemic weaknesses is what this discussion comes down to. And this, of course, brings us to the past couple of weeks, the high drama of the emergency parliamentary hearings. The emergency hearings were really just a chance for the head of Australia's spy and police agencies as well as top bureaucrats from the Home Affairs Department to show up and repeat their arguments. So they were emergency in the sense that the government thought that they needed to bring them in promptly to try to uh, salvage their position. Laurel, you covered some of those hearings last week. They were pretty exciting, weren't they? It was really interesting. What, what did you uh, make of those hearings? Well, yeah, heated to say the least, shall we say, yeah. with discussions over the last few weeks beginning with um, an emergency hearing because um, a push came from the government, as you say, to pass the bill before Christmas and before they went into recess just last night. The submissions um, in the committee included contributions from Australia's top spy, Duncan Lewis, as well as evidence from the organisation that oversees Australia's six intelligence services. That organisation 
position is called the Inspector General of Intelligence and Security. So the position and the organisation sort of carries the same name there. And then there was a third participant um, in that first emergency hearing, the country's deputy ombudsman, Jala Hinchcliffe, whose office deals with complaints about federal government departments and agencies. And the hearing continued throughout that week uh, with industry contributions as well. And what were their main concerns? There were a variety of concerns and industry differed from from kind of the the policy or, or state departments as well. First, there was Duncan Lewis, as I've mentioned, whose organisation, the Australian Security Intelligence Organisation, or ASIO, was probably the most vocal witness of the last few weeks pushing for the bill. Um, And I think the government push kind of really hinged on on his position, I would say. He told lawmakers that 90% of his agency's investigations are now being hampered by criminals' use of encrypted messages. Um, and he was concerned by the idea that eventually all criminal contact would go dark, as he said, which kind of means that it would be entirely behind encrypted technology and therefore his spies would be going in blind in their operations. And what about the Ombudsman and the uh, Inspector General of Intelligence and Security? They took the stand, as you just mentioned. What emerged from those uh, from those hearings? So their concerns were slightly different. So they were mainly to do with oversight, which we've already sort of mentioned briefly. Um, they were concerned that if the laws were to come into force, which of course they now have, in the form that they were in a few weeks ago, there was no concl- there was no sorry clear oversight measures to hold to account those trying to use the new powers. What about those companies developing encryption technologies? I mean, it's safe to say that they weren't uh, keen on the bill, and we know that uh, for a fact. What what emerged from those hearings? Well, yes, and I'd say that in the same way that the government sort of hinged their position probably on um, ASIO's need and that fear, I would say Labour's opposition kind of hinged as well on this on this contribution from this encryption company, this technology developer, Senatas, which is an Australian company, and whose customers are all over the world, um, including not only Australian banks, but the US government, to name a few. Um, and their chairman, Francis Galbally, said last week that the cyber network vulnerabilities that would result from granting law enforcement agencies the right to request access to encrypted messages could be felt around the world. So going back to your point about just how borderless yep. this is, he said, it wouldn't only lead to a cut in the value of Senatas's business, but would make electricity networks and banking systems vulnerable to total blackouts. His concerns were taken on board, as I've said, by Australia's Labour Party, who as the country's largest opposition party nearly scuppered the bill getting passed this week, last night. But when they suggested a compromise that would cover only certain crimes, Gabley said that wouldn't be enough to resolve vulnerabilities created in the system by the new measures. James, why don't you tell us a bit more both about Galbally's concerns and also the Labour compromises? It's it's interesting because not too many observers pick this up in Australia, but Labour has been pointing to what was clearly destined to become a a part of the compromise deal. It was saying that it wanted to limit, uh, as you said, the use of encryption rules to serious crimes. But uh, when asked about this, Galbally during the hearing said, look, this is simply not possible. You can't limit uh, you can't, once you're creating a, a, an encryption law, you can't then target certain crimes rather mm. than others. So it's creating systemic weakness. There's no, like, there's no middle ground no. when it comes to this systemic weakness idea. That's right. And, the, and the, I don't know if you can remember that part of the hearing, but the Labour Party quickly moved on to something else because that was clearly part of what the Labour, the compromise that Labour was, was, was interested in. And so what, uh, Walter, what ultimately happened is that the uh, Labour Party, uh, one of the amendments put forward by the Labour Party, which is ultimately accepted by the government, was to um, 
limit the use of these laws to offences that had a minimum uh, sentence of three years or, or more than three years. So in other words, they were saying, look, it has to be for serious crimes. Now, that in itself is going to be very, very difficult to, uh, to enforce because it could be that you know, you're, you're investigating a crime that has a, a three-year sentence, but then when it comes time to lay charges, you end up laying charges for a, a lesser crime. So all of this is obviously fraught, but the Labor Party in, in doing this has managed to deliver on that commitment to target certain crimes rather than others. Even though it seems to deliver some sort of uncertainty, yes, nevertheless. Uh, uh, but, but, but that's the point. I mean, Labour was saying a lot of what everyone has been saying, the criticism about this is that it, it creates a level of uncertainty, but even the amendments create uncertainty. And so the fact that uh, this legislation, um, as we now know, will now be revisited, and not just early next year, but in uh, 18 months' time, I mean, this is a, a, a key part of where we're at at the moment. There is a certain level of uncertainty when it comes to these laws. So we've touched a little bit there on sort of what we've what we've ended up with, um, amendments, things to be reviewed, um, and how and how this has been passed. But let's just let's just look at last night specifically. It went really right down to the wire. Um, there was a political context to that. Let's elaborate a little bit more there. Oh yes, I mean this is more about the joys of Australian politics than uh, anything <laughs> specifically linked to um, regulatory risk. But Parliament last night got caught up in a totally unrelated debate on asylum seekers. So this was totally unrelated to encryption. Uh, it was clear that the government, which is now a minority government in Australia, so a minority in the lower house, the House of Representatives, it didn't have the numbers in Parliament to stop this bill going through, so instead what it did was it called an early adjournment to, uh, the, uh, to the parliamentary session in the House of Representatives, and this meant that everyone left the day. This was the last hearing before we head into the summer holidays, so uh, it was now or never this left the uh, opposition Labour Party using the encryption bill to try to force the government to keep going, to try to force the House of Representatives to keep going so it could uh, embarrass the government with its um, with this asylum seeker bill. Uh, so in, in other words, the, the encryption bill became really just a political means by which to hurt the government. Uh, and so as a result, right up to the last minute, I mean, our subscribers will be uh, able to read all of this. The assumption was up until 7.30 or 8 o'clock last night that the bill wouldn't go through. And then at the very last moment, Labor realised that it had lost the battle on the asylum seekers bill. So it deci decided to, uh, to stick to its uh, agreed uh, compromise on the encryption bill and at the very, very last moment available, pass the encryption bill. So it's been dramatic in terms of the parliamentary uh, the parliamentary tactics, but none of this really matters ultimately. What ultimately matters is that the bill was passed and that that bill as part of this final compromise is now going to be reviewed. So this is not going to be the last time that we talk about encryption. There's plenty more to go. Yeah, and we're now left with this prospect, as you say, more amendments being discussed early in the year, I believe in February when Parliament uh, returns, yep. as part of this sort of 59th minute of the 11th hour compromise <laughs> last night. Right. Um, James will no doubt return to this topic next year, but for now, thank you. Thank you very much. Bye. That's all we've got time for today. Thank you for listening to our podcast on Australia's groundbreaking encryption measures. You can find our most recent commentary on the bill under the headline, Australia's encryption bill reveals challenges of regulating borderless technologies. And that should be on the page where you found this podcast today. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts for the latest from MLEX. If you rate and review the podcast, it will make it easier for other people to find us. From James Paniki and me, Laurel Henning, goodbye.